0: Our scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew, chapter 10, verses 1 through 15. Matthew writes, And he called to him his twelve disciples, and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. and If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it, But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever.
1: It's so good to be with you again this morning, and I wonder if when you looked at today's sermon title there in your bulletin that you said to yourself, what in the world is this all about? Well, in case you did, I want to explain. Uh, Those of you who are in my generation, and I think there are a few of you out there, will remember this as the title of a song that was recorded and made famous by Rosemary Clooney. Now I realize, and this was in the 1950s, I realize that other people have recorded it as well, but I think Rosemary Clooney is the most famous one. And for those of you who are in later generations, yes, George Clooney is related to Rosemary Clooney. Uh, She was his aunt. Uh, Listen to some of these lyrics from the song that she sang. Come on to my house, my house, I'm going to give you candy. Come on to my house, my house, I'm going to give you figs and dates and grapes and cakes. Come on to my house, my house, I'm going to give you everything. Everything. Well, that's just some of the lyrics of this song. It was written by a man by the name of Ross Bagdazarian and his cousin William Sororian. The melody is based on an Armenian folk song. Now, I'm not saying Armenian here, I'm saying Armenian, like the country Armenia. And the lyrics reference traditional Armenian customs of inviting over relatives and friends and providing them with a generously overflowing table of fruits, nuts, seeds, and other foods. Now again, in case you're wondering why I chose a song title for a sermon title, the reason is this, because the passage that we have just heard, the passage that is before us, among other things, is basically about saying to people, come on to my house. In other words, it's about the practice of hospitality. And that's what I want us to think about this morning as we look here at these words from Matthew chapter 10. At the beginning of this chapter, we find Jesus calling his 12 disciples to himself, and he gives them authority which is power and the right to exercise it, authority over unclean spirits, as well as authority to heal every sickness and infirmity. And after Matthew names these 12 apostles, he tells us that Jesus gave them a charge before sending them out. A charge being that which entrusts someone with a task as a duty or responsibility. And part of that charge is what we are looking at today. It is that part of Matthew chapter 10, beginning at verse 11. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it, and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy... Let your peace come upon it. But if it is not not worthy, let your peace return to you. It is likely that when the apostles, going two by two, would arrive in any town, they would preach in the open at first. If you remember the book of Jonah, you understand that Jonah finally got to Nineveh, and as he was coming into the city, he began to preach. So it's possible that these disciples, as they're going out two by two, preach in the open, and if they're invited to do so, they also preach in the synagogue. And from the response given to them, it would not be very difficult to determine who among those who were listening to them, would be counted as worthy. That's the word that is used here by our Lord. In other words, those who would be deserving to provide lodging for them. Such people could be expected to rejoice that they had an opportunity to care for the messengers of the Lord. And when the disciples found such a home, Jesus indicates that they should consider it their headquarters until they left to go to another town. At the time and region where these things were taking place, there was a long tradition of hospitality. In fact, it was almost a necessity because travel was not yet as easy and inns were not readily available Furthermore, the family that offered shelter today might be in need of it themselves the following week. (coughs) Excuse me. Also, the people listening to the apostles' message, the lost sheep of the house of Israel, that is to whom Jesus said to go, would know of examples of hospitality which would encourage them to practice it themselves. Now, what examples would they have known about? Well, they would have known examples, surely, from the Old Testament, would they not? We can think about Abraham. In Genesis chapter 18, we find there Abraham meeting the Lord himself and two angels with him. And he says to them, let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree, while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And we are told that that is exactly what he did, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Also, Ruo, who is perhaps better known to us as Jethro, eventually becoming the father-in-law of Moses. When his daughters first meet Moses, Jethro says to them, why, why have you left the man? Call him that we may eat bread. And that is what occurs. And then there's Manoah. Manoah, the father of Samson, when he meets the angel of the Lord, who had told his wife about the coming birth of a son, <clears throat> and he says to the angel, please let us dis- detain you and prepare a young goat for you. And then there's the woman in Shunem in 2 Kings chapter 4, and this is what we read there. One day Elisha went on to Shunem where a wealthy woman lived who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there... For him a bed, (coughs) a table, a chair, and a lamp, so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. This, of course, became Elisha's upper chamber. (coughs) And then we find Job's words in chapter 31 of his book. The sojourner has not lodged in the street... I have opened my doors to the traveler. So here are these examples of hospitality in the Old Testament that these people who are listening to the apostles would be aware of and would know of their need to invite them to come and stay with them in their homes. We see this kind of thing, this practice of hospitality also in the New Testament. Here is the Lord Jesus in the chapter before we were reading uh, in chapter 9, where Jesus is calling Matthew in that chapter. And then we find Jesus as a, as a guest in Matthew's house, and we read as Jesus reclined at table in the house. That would indicate that they are eating uh, a meal in Matthew's house. And, of course, there's Zacchaeus, in Luke chapter 19, what did Jesus say to him? Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And that is what happened. And there's Martha and Mary in John 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. As Paul is addressing Philemon, he writes at the end of his letter, at the same time, prepare a guest room for me. And we think about the Good Samaritan, do we not? An amazing example of hospitality, that he went out of his way to provide for this man who had fallen among thieves. The Lord himself is concerned for the physical welfare of his people, and he extends hospitality. We find him feeding the 5,000. We find him feeding the 4,000. We are going to come this morning to the Lord's table that surely is hospitality that the Lord is providing for his people. But you know, if we keep going in the scripture, we understand that it is something that we don't only see as examples, and I've mentioned a number of them, and I could certainly mention more. It's not only something that we see as examples. It is also something that we are told to do. It is part of God's instruction to his people. Remember how Paul speaks of elders in First Timothy? Therefore, an overseer, that is an elder, must be above reproach. And he mentions a number of other things. And then he says, what? Hospitable. Or in Titus, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant. He mentions other things. And then he says, but hospitable. Well, now that's the elders. And most of you are not elders. And so you think I'm off the hook. Well, I'm afraid you're not. Because you go on to Romans chapter 12. And Paul says, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. And I don't think we can say, well, that's Paul speaking to the Romans, and it was the Romans' responsibility, but it, it doesn't apply to me. No, because this is the word of God to the Romans, yes, but to us as well. And then in First Peter chapter 4, Peter says, show hospitality to one another... And what does he add? (coughs) Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And then the writer to the Hebrews says at the beginning of chapter 13, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Pardon me for all this um, coughing but uh, I guess I got up too early, like you did. We're all in the same boat on that, aren't we? Well, here is this word, hospitality. <clears throat> it keeps coming up. What is it exactly? It has been said that this word approximates the Greek word philosynia, Philozenia, which means love. Of the stranger. I've been reading a very good book <clears throat> about hospitality written by a preacher's wife, Rosaria Butterfield. It is entitled The Gospel Comes with a House Key, and it is subtitled Practicing Radically Ordinary Hospitality in Our Post Christian World. Anyone ever heard of that book? It's a good one. I've got a copy up here if anybody wants to look at it. Let me quote some from this exceptional book. She says, Those who live radically ordinary hospitality see God's image in the eyes of every human being on earth. I was at Walmart in Memphis yesterday afternoon. That is not the place to go on a Saturday. But I needed to go. And there are all sorts of people of all sorts of ethnic backgrounds there. And it is extremely crowded on a Saturday. And as I was looking at those people, I was thinking about what I was getting ready to say to you that I've just said. And I thought, I've got to see all of these people as those who have been made in the image of God she goes on to say they see their homes not as theirs at all but as god's gift to use for the furtherance of his kingdom and don't we hold on to things we we hold on to our cars we hold on to our possessions we hold on to our homes and And really, we're supposed to be good stewards and recognize that it all actually belongs to the Lord, and I must take care of it. I remember that the home in which I grew up in Mississippi, further down Mississippi, uh, the last person to live in that home was my mother's only sibling, a sister. And she had a good way to say it. She said, I'm only the keeper of the keys of this house. She goes on to say, Rosaria Butterfield, A true hospitable heart anticipates every day Christ-centered table fellowship and guests who are genuinely in need. Such a heart, she says, seeks opportunities to serve. Engaging in radically ordinary hospitality means we provide the time necessary to build strong relationships with people who think differently than we do, as well as build strong relationships from within the family of God. So here is this phrase that she uses in her Um, as a subtitle in the title of her book, and yet it appears a number of other times, and you've already heard me say it several times, radically ordinary hospitality. What is that? What does she mean by that? Well, let me tell you what she says. Radically ordinary hospitality is using your Christian home in a daily way that seeks, this is so good, that in a daily way that seeks to make strangers neighbors and neighbors family of God. It brings glory to God, serves others, and lives out the gospel in word and deed. If you are prohibited, she says, from using your living space in this way, it counts. If you support in some way some household in your church that is doing it. The purpose of radically ordinary hospitality is to build, focus, deepen, and strengthen the family of God, pointing others to the Bible-believing local church, and being earthly and spiritual good to everyone we know. But I know, as you know, that it's so easy to stay closed up in our homes and keep to ourselves, isn't it? After all, we have very long days. We have hard days at work. We have hard days at school. There, there are many things that we need to deal with as a family. We speak to our neighbors, but we really don't want to get to know them, and we certainly don't want to have to stop our normal routine and invite them over for a meal. That costs money, and it costs time. We see people from other ethnic backgrounds at Walmart or in the grocery store or as parents of some children who are in the same class as our children are. But we don't want to open our homes to them. We might miss our favorite TV show or ball game. And after all, if we did that, what in the world are we going to talk to them about Will they even understand our language? Will we understand theirs? Let me put it this way. Are you truly converted? Are you truly a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you do, as Rosaria said... See God's image reflected in the eyes of every human being on earth. If you belong to the Savior, can't you honestly say with John Wesley, I heard this a number of years ago. I had not heard it before, and I keep thinking about it. Can you honestly say, I want all the world to know the one I know? I want all the world to know the one I know. And you understand why he would say that, because in knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, there is salvation, and also in knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, he gets more glory and he gets more praise. And we want people to be saved, and we want him to get more glory, and we want him to get more praise. So we have to have that in our hearts if we're true believers. I want all the world to know the one I know. So what can you do? To whom might you extend hospitality? Where do you need to start? Perhaps you start with putting a few names down on a sheet of paper, or maybe just in your mind, and begin to pray. Lord, show me what I can do for my neighbors, for these people that I see at my children's school, or that I'm standing behind in the line to pay my bill at the grocery store or Walmart. Will you be like our friends in Boston, Massachusetts? They have a refugee from Afghanistan living with them. They haven't just invited her over for a meal She eats with them, but she's living with them right now. And she just escaped on that horrible day with her life and had to leave other family members behind her. Will you be like my pastor friend Steve Hill? You all have, some of you have been to Peru, and I suppose some of you know who Steve Hill is. Uh, he used to be a missionary to Peru for nine years, I believe. He is now back in the States. <clears throat> I knew him when I was doing campus work at Mississippi State, and he was not only a student, but then became one of my uh, first male interns. And Steve Hill and his wife Diane are building a ministry house in the country near Blue Mountain there was an article about him in the Tupelo uh, newspaper several weeks ago, or maybe even months ago. And I want you to hear what he says. We hope to be able to help Latino immigrants who are moving, who are flooding into this country. They don't have any place to go. And they often end up on the street. We hope to be able to teach them English and the Bible and some basic job skills. We want to give them a safe place to land and a solid place to launch from. Well, for the time being, Steve and Diane will live downstairs in this house, which is not yet completed, but they're still working on it. And then they have two bedrooms upstairs with a full bath that they will use for their ministry. And eventually... They say they would like to get some shipping containers to build dormitories to house Latino families on their property and build a multi-purpose center for cooking, dining, training, and worship. Steve says, it makes me tired thinking about it sometimes. But if we can help one family or two families, that's our goal. If the Lord is willing, we will finish our years in this manner. To God be the glory, he says. Well, most of you haven't been missionaries to Peru, and most of you don't have that attitude about building a house and bringing other things and having people live. But this is just an example of what can be done. I want to get a little personal here. I'd like for you to be in prayer for me. Because I have a friend living next door to me who's about to move away. He's only been there, well, he hasn't even been there a year. He's living in a rental house with his wife and his son. And his name, he's from Brazil, and his name is Luis, L-U-I-Z. And he is the nicest guy I almost have ever met. And I don't want him to move away. He's found a house that that he has purchased. Uh, there in Germantown, and he knows I don't want him to leave. And he and I talk all the time uh, when I see him outside and when he sees me. And we have even invited him to independent prayers for uh, a Christmas carol sing. But I have never talked to him about the Lord. And I want to do that. I must do that. I, I am anxious to do that, and I hope tomorrow to take some hot muffins over to his house and ask him to give me some coffee and tell him I want to visit with him so that I can begin to talk about the Lord Jesus to him. I would appreciate your prayers for me, but especially for Louise. I love that guy, and I want him to be in glory with me. And you would love him too if you met him, I can assure you. The most, one of the most outgoing people I've ever known. Pray for Luis. Well, I want to read a short story to you. And it, interestingly, takes place in the country from which Luis comes. It goes like this. The small house was simple, but adequate. It consisted of one large room on a dusty street. Its red-tiled roof was one of the many in this poor neighborhood on the outskirts of the Brazilian village. It was a comfortable home. Maria and her daughter Christina had done what they could to add color to the gray walls and warmth to the hard dirt floor. An old calendar a faded photograph of a relative, a wooden crucifix. The furnishings were modest, a pallet on either side of the room, a washbasin, and a wood-burning stove. Maria's husband had died when Christina was an infant. The young mother, stubbornly refusing opportunities to remarry, got a job and set out to raise her young daughter. And now, 15 years later, the worst years were over. Though Maria's salary as a maid afforded few luxuries, it was reliable and it did provide food and clothes. And now Christina was old enough to get a job to help out. Some said Christina got her independence from her mother, She recoiled at the traditional idea of marrying young and raising a family. Not that she couldn't have had her pick of husbands. Her olive skin and brown eyes kept a steady stream of prospects at her door. She had an infectious way of throwing her head back and filling the room with laughter. She also had that rare magic that some women have that makes every man feel like a king just by being next to them. But it was her spirited curiosity that made her keep all the men at arm's length. She spoke often of going to the city. She dreamed of trading her dusty neighborhood for exciting avenues avenues and city life. But just the thought of this horrified her mother. Maria was always quick to remind Christina of the harshness of the streets. People don't know you there. Jobs are scarce, and the life is cruel. And besides, if you went there, what would you do for a living? Maria knew exactly what Christina would do, or would have to do, for a living. That's why her heart broke when she awoke one morning to find her daughter's bed empty. Maria knew immediately where her daughter had gone. She also knew immediately what she must do to find her. She quickly threw some clothes in a bag, gathered up all her money, and ran out of the house. On her way to the bus stop, she entered a drugstore to get one last thing. Pictures. She sat in the photograph booth, closed the curtain, and spent all she could on pictures of herself. With her purse full of small black and white photos, she boarded the next bus to Rio. Maria knew Christina had no way of earning money. She also knew that her daughter was too stubborn to give up. When pride meets hunger... A human will do things that were unthinkable before. Knowing this, Maria began her search. Bars, hotels, nightclubs, any place with the reputation for streetwalkers. She went to them all, and at each place, she left her picture. Taped on a bathroom window, mirror, mirror tacked to a hotel bulletin board, fastened to a corner phone booth, and on the back of each picture, she wrote a note. It wasn't too long before the money and the pictures ran out and Maria had to go home. The weary mother wept as the bus began its long journey back to her small village. It was a few weeks later, that young Christina descended the hotel stairs. Her young face was tired. Her brown eyes no longer danced with youth, but spoke of pain and fear. Her laughter was broken. Her dream had become a nightmare. A thousand times over, she longed to trade these countless beds for her secure pallet. Yet the little village was in too many ways too far away. As she reached the bottom of the stairs, her eyes noticed a familiar face. She looked again, and there on the lobby mirror was a small picture of her mother. Christina's eyes burned, and her throat tightened as she walked across the room and removed the small photo. Written on the back was this compelling invitation. Whatever you have done, whatever you have become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. And she did. And isn't that exactly what our Lord says to us in his great offer of salvation? Whatever you have done, whatever you have become, it doesn't matter. Come home. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, he says. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. And doesn't it remind us of that chorus from that hymn? Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, O sinner, come home. What an amazing word, home. We say it, and we are carried way back, aren't we? to our childhood, perhaps, and the way we were brought up. And it's what the Lord offers to all who come to him. You know, I have been thinking, of course, about this sermon for a while, and I've thought, the Lord himself provides hospitality in this world that he has created, hasn't he? I tend to love beautiful flowers. And I went looking for what I hoped to find the other day, and I found some blue hyacinths and yellow daffodils. And together, what an arrangement they can make. And then there's an avocado that I'm using to make some guacamole. And I'm just amazed at an avocado. And it is soft on the inside, and yet the outside is completely like leather. And here is this seed in the middle that is as hard as it can be, and perfectly round. And then there's a banana. What a a marvelous fruit that is. You don't even have to wash your hands to eat it. And it's readily available for you. The Lord has given us such amazing creations, and he, in the midst of all of this, is offering hospitality in them. And yet, think of that which is coming, the hospitality that is coming for all who belong to him. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell where? in the house of the Lord. The Lord is saying to us who are his people, come to my house. And because of Jesus and his great atonement in our place, in the place of his people, we are welcome. We are invited. We are welcome. We can go there. Revelation 21 says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Imagine it. It is extraordinary that the creator of everything that we see around us and of ourselves and of all the others of us here desires to be in fellowship with us and to live with us and to have us live with him in the new heaven and the new earth. Only those who have been brought into the kingdom by the work of the Holy Spirit, opening eyes and opening ears and opening hearts can truly understand that. And what of the city in which we are to dwell? Well, again, Revelation 21 says that the foundation of the walls of the city are adorned with every kind of jewel jasper, sapphire, agate, emerald, onyx, carnelian, chrysolite, beryl, topaz, chrysoprase, jacinth, amethyst, and the twelve gates of the city, twelve pearls made of a single pearl. And the street, pure gold, like transparent glass. But the book of Revelation doesn't only speak of an eternal home. It also speaks of a meal. In chapter 19, we read these words. Blessed are those who, invite, who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Think of that. Isn't the Lord God the supreme host? Doesn't he offer the most wonderful hospitality possible, both in this world and in the next? Indeed, he does, and it has all been made possible, as I've already said, by the perfect life and atoning death and glorious resurrection and ascension of our dear Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I remember when I was studying at La fellowship with Dr. and Mrs. Francis Schaefer. hearing Mrs. Schaeffer say these very words, we will sit at the marriage supper of the Lamb and we will be fed by the very hands that bled and we'll see the scars because they're still there in his hands and his feet and his side. And we will be reminded every time we see those scars that he has them so that we can be where we are around the marriage table of the Lamb. Once enemies, now seated at his table. It's too much to take in, isn't it? And yet it's true. That's what the scripture tells us. Well, I just say, may the Lord make us ready for such a day. And may he cause us to be like him, offering a meal, a home, or whatever is needed to those near and those far until he takes us to heaven, our real Well, let's pray together. Our Father, we are so grateful to you that we can know these things to be true. We are so grateful to you that you have given us your word. We are so amazed at that, that the great God of heaven and earth would want his creatures, to know what he thinks and what he has said about himself and about them and about our need of knowing you. I pray, O God, that we might be aware of the hospitality that you give to us every day. I pray that we might be aware of the hospitality that comes to us in knowing the Lord Jesus Christ and will be with us forever and ever and ever in the new heavens and the new earth. And I pray, O Lord, that you would help us as your people to take seriously your word and to break out of our comfort zone and to begin at least to think and to pray about how we may make strangers, neighbors, and neighbors the family of God. Oh Lord give us each one a heart for Christ and for your children and help us O oh God to want indeed all the world to know the one that we know and so we pray in Jesus name amen